God bless you this morning. What a privilege and a blessing it is to be in the Lord's house and to just be able to assemble. I am so thankful for this privilege, this opportunity to stand in this sacred place and to proclaim to you the word of the Lord. <clears throat> we know that we're living in unique times, strategic times, in some places turbulent and tumultuous times. But this is an opportunity for the church to be the church. I want to commend and say thank you to your pastor, my friend and my brother, Pastor Don, for taking the initiative in these days to not only preach the gospel, but to practice the gospel and to live it out in our community. I am just so thankful, Don, for the spirit and the heart that God has given you to reach out as a brother. There is a person in the scripture that I must mention. If we don't pay careful attention, we may read the New Testament and miss the significance of his contribution to the gospel. Very early in the book of Acts, a man stands out. His name is Joseph the Levite. He's identified as. When you do a character study of Joseph the Levite, you will find out that he was always concerned about others. He was concerned about the marginalized, the disenfranchised. As a matter of fact, I wonder if there would ever be the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul, if we would ever even know about the Apostle Paul, as important as he is to Christendom, we might not have never known of Paul and his contribution had it not been for this one individual who, when others would not accept him into the fold, reached out and brought him in. So much so that as you do a character study, you will discover that he was so impressive and impactive in his living this kind of life that the apostles gave him a nickname what we call nicknames, and they nicknamed him Barnabas, meaning the son of consolation. Wherever you see Barnabas, you find him bringing people together. He goes to Damascus and brings Paul. He's the first to give in the book of Acts to the needs of people. I highlight him because there is a Barnabas in your congregation. There is a Barnabas who has been working tirelessly for several years in this endeavor and in this season. Uh, I would not be standing here had it not been for 
Pastor Don Dinez, but I would not be here if it were not for my friend and my brother, Tim Van Lowe. I thank God for you, Tim. I have, uh, I have been educated to some degree. One of the things that my education taught me was to never stand up and identify other people without identifying your own wife. <laughs> and so I want to uh, make good of my education and thank God for my wife who is present today. And there are some other members of our church. As I said earlier, these are strategic times. We're all sensitive to the global and universal changes that have been made because of this COVID pandemic. It has affected our nation. It has affected our world socially, economically. And in the midst of this triumvirate of trouble, if you will, between the pandemic and the economic impact it's having on our country and our nation, once again, our nation, once again, has been confronted with the evil of racism that is embedded in the fabric of this country. So I'm sure that I'm not simply here out of love and fellowship, although that is primary, but I stand here to speak today I'm here today because South Church, Pastor Don and Mount Zion and other churches take seriously the gospel call. And so I'm here today and as I prayed about this opportunity to come and stand before you, I asked God over and over what should I say as his representative? There's so many avenues and ways to speak in this season, and as you listen, you hear many different perspectives. But I want to share with you today that I did not come to discuss the problem. I came to declare an answer. The reading that was read to us earlier serves as the basis of my text today in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And I just want to highlight and read verse 16 for your consideration in our preaching moment today. From the New International Version of the Bible, the New International Version, as I say at our church, you may have a different version and it may read slightly different but it ought to say essentially the same thing. And if it does not, you need a new Bible. <laughs> Romans 1, 16 from the New International Version, from the pen of the Apostle Paul, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, 
then to the Gentile. First to the Jew. That is not preference, but promise. Then to the Gentile. Not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. As we sit here today, if we would be realistic, all of us, whether we confess publicly or privately, there is something in our lives that we should be ashamed of. Something in our past that we look back with shame that we don't want to discuss. 400 years in this country and founded on Judeo-Christian principles and we as a nation should be ashamed. As a church, we should be ashamed of our neglect of putting legs and hands to this gospel. But I want to suggest that even though there is something that all of us could be ashamed of as we look back over our lives and makes us thankful for the gospel, there is something that all of us should not be ashamed of. And that is what the Apostle Paul shares with us. He says he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are certain texts of the Bible that are so familiar to us that they really require no introduction. As uh, this text was called for and spoken out a few moments ago, I'm sure that many of you knew what this text said without even opening your Bible. It is considered one of the great texts of the Bible, along with John 3.16, Psalm 23, Psalm 103, Isaiah 53, Romans 1 and 16 stands alongside those great texts of the Bible. It has been influential and impacted, maybe one of the most influential texts in Christendom. Most of our great Revivals and reformations in the history of the church are directly related to the book of Romans. In September in 386, a native North African had been a professor for several years in Milan, Italy, and he sat weeping in the garden of his friend, Olypius, contemplating, even though a theologian, the wickedness and the evil of his life. He sat weeping in this garden, and as he weeps in this garden, he hears a voice that says, Tola lega in, in the native language, Tola lega in Latin. He heard that voice, it means take up and read. Sitting next to him was a scroll, and open, that scroll was open to the book of Romans. He picked it up. The first passage that caught his eye was verse 13 and 14 of chapter 13. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The man 
later wrote about that occasion. No further would I read, nor did I need, for instantly as the sentence ended by a light as it were or security infused into my heart, all of the gloom and doubt vanished away. That man was Aurelius Augustine, great theologian from Hippo. Just a thousand years later, a monk named Martin Luther in the Roman Catholic Church following the Augustinian order was teaching the book of Romans to his students at the University of Wittenberg. As he carefully studied the text, he became more and more convinced of Paul's teaching on justification by faith. And he wrote, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because he says, I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day, he says, I pondered, I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Several centuries later, an ordained minister in the Anglican Church, the Church of England, by the name of John Wesley, was similarly confused about the meaning of the gospel and was searching for a genuine experience of salvation. In his journal on the evening of May 24th, 1738, he writes, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. When Martin Luther found this text, or better yet, when the text found him, he says that it turned his life upside down. No longer was he willing to remain a simple monk in that monastery in Eifert. Once the blazing truth of justification by faith set a fire burning in his soul, he set himself to igniting a fire that eventually spread throughout Europe. We are assembled here today because Martin Luther read the book of Romans and the Holy Spirit opened his heart to the truths and the realities of that text. And here today, in this season of turmoil, in this season of question, in this season of transition in our nation, we again 
are confronted with this text from the Apostle Paul who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. No one would have known better than the Apostle Paul. No one had an opportunity to examine the living truth of the gospel. No one could have taken a critical view of the gospel more than the Apostle Paul. We, we know him. He, he is first revealed to us as Saul from Tarsus, educated in the rabbinical schools, sitting under the great grandson or the grandson of the great theologian Hillel, Paul, who spoke 13 languages, seven of them fluently. Paul, who studied, no doubt, at Tarsus, no doubt studied at Alexandria. He gives us his resume in the book of Philippians and time and time again in the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews, meaning that he spoke the original language. But you know that story. He, he was no doubt a contemporary of Jesus Christ. And while Jesus was carrying on his ministry in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, Saul, who would later be known as Paul, who had been reared in Jerusalem and trained, had gone back probably to Tarsus to begin his studies. And so committed was he to his belief, so committed was he to his religion that any other voice, any other sound, any other idea slapped him in the face as being ungodly. And so because of his commitment to what he believed was right, he set about trying to destroy the people who followed what was at that time known as the way. We, we had not yet become Christians yet. They were people of the way, and he was so adamant about it, so convinced that this sect was wrong, so convinced that this Jesus was merely an itinerant preacher who had come and gone like so many that he had seen that he tells us that he used all of his intellect, all of his contact, and all of his abilities to destroy Christianity. So much so that he went to the chief priest in Jerusalem and got permission to extend beyond the boundaries of Judea and Palestine, to seek out beyond the Transjordan, literally to go anywhere he could to find Christians, men or women, to grab them, to accost them, to arrest them, and to bring them back to Jerusalem to face charges against the religious establishment that they had been following a false teacher. They had been blaspheming God. And with the smoke of fury coming out of his nostrils, breathing fire and threatenings, 
He makes his way to Syria, to a place called Damascus. You know the story. And on his way to Damascus, he has an unusual encounter, not simply with the living God, but with the resurrected Christ, the very Christ he had heard about, the very Christ he had written off, the very Christ he had surmised was another harlot, another charlatan, if you will. But there on that Damascus journey, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who art thou, Lord? The voice responded to him and said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead. I am Jesus, who went up and down the shores of Palestine. I am Jesus, who was willing to reach out to the Samaritan woman. I am Jesus, who was willing to reach out to the disenfranchised, the poor. I am Jesus, who was willing to cross racial boundaries, ignore racial distinctions, to preach the gospel. I am Jesus. And Paul, what you do not realize is that while you are persecuting my people, you are persecuting me. Paul said, what would you have me to do? You know the story that Paul is sent to Damascus and over the course of the next several years, Acts records at least three of his missionary journeys where he went all over the world known at that time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans was written, no doubt, while he's in Corinth. He had made a journey to Corinth because a famine had hit the land and the mother church in Jerusalem was now in trouble. The mother church could not count upon their brothers and sisters to help them. They were alone. They were insulated and isolated. But Paul knew that we as brothers and sisters have a responsibility to help each other no matter where we are and no matter what the situation is. So he went all over the land to those churches that he had preached at previously and says we need to give to our sister church. And here he is now collecting the funds to take to the Jerusalem church to meet their need. And in Corinth, he hears about the church of Rome. He had never been to Rome Rome, the citadel of government. Rome, the citadel of philosophical debate. Rome, that empire of empires. It's not that he did not want to go. It's not that he was afraid to go. It is that other evangelistic opportunities had raised their heads and every time Paul got an opportunity to go to Rome to preach, he would get another opportunity and he would leave and go there. But he wanted to go to Rome. He knew that if he could get to Rome, and if you look at uh, Paul's missionary strategy, 
It was his strategy literally and generally to go to a major area, to go to a large city and there preach the gospel of Jesus Christ where he could impact the most people and then from there preaching at these large centers he would take the gospel out its tentacles would reach out into the smaller areas so he knew that if he could go to Rome he could finally in Rome preach the gospel he could finally confront those philosophies and philosophers that were debating. He couldn't confront those Judaizers. He could teach those believers that had not been thoroughly educated in the way. He wanted to go to Rome. So he sits down to pin this letter to the Roman church. Or I should say better, he pins this letter to the believers that are located in Rome. And he says to them, I need you to understand that I want to come to you because I am a servant of Christ Jesus and I am set apart for the gospel. He says, God has ordained me. God has sanctified me simply for the task of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I, I want to preach it to you. Don't, don't think that I've been inhibited. Don't think that I'm afraid. Don't think that I'm intimidated. Don't think that I don't want to come. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He tells us three things I want to just share with you and I want to sit down. One of them is obvious, but it needs to be repeated. He says to us, the first thing I need you to understand is, church, the gospel is good news. I don't know about you, but when I get through watching CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, I need some good news. When you go to work, Listen to the talk around the water cooler. We need some good news. Look at the tension that's going on in our country. Sociologists, psychologists, those in fields of professionalism, debating, discussing, trying to come up with a solution for the economic problems, the racial problems and tension in this country. I say to you as Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the good news. My brothers and sisters, in order to say there is good news, we must understand that that implies that there is bad news. And that's the problem. We don't want to confront the bad news. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that gospel reveals a righteousness of God and that righteousness is from faith to faith. But I'm giving you the good news because there is bad news. And the bad news is the wrath of God is being revealed. 
against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Take a moment, church, and listen to what he says. He says no one needs to proclaim, no one needs to preach the bad news. The bad news is being revealed from heaven. What is the bad news? That no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter our age or our stage, no matter our education, no matter our proclivities or our preferences, the reality is that we we are born into the world in sin. We are born separated from God. We cannot educate ourselves into righteousness. We cannot get it from osmosis. We cannot get it from hanging around. There must be a change. And that change cannot simply be in the mind of man. Before the mind of man has to be changed, the hearts of man have to be changed. And only the gospel can change the hearts of men. What good is it if Don and I sit together, if in our hearts we do not want to be together? But the gospel changes hearts. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is good news. It is the answer to the fallenness of man. It is the answer to the sins of man. It is the answer to the troubles of humanity. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is good news. The gospel is good news. But the gospel is also powerful news. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the euangelion, the good news, because it is the proclamation and the preaching of the good news. Watch this. That is the power of God. Oh, if we could ever grasp this. He does not say the gospel leads to the power of God. He does not say the gospel exposes the power of God. He says, my brothers and sisters, the gospel is the power of God. This is a concept that Paul struggled with and he had to have revelation, but I believe he's not by himself. We too must need this revelation because there is something within us that once we have a consciousness of the reality of God, there is something within us that causes us to want to make ourselves right before God. But I'm not talking to anybody that doesn't know this. There's nothing, nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. There is nothing that mankind can do. If we could do something, Paul says if, if doing something, if obeying the law could make us righteous, he said there would be no one more righteous than me. But he does not proclaim his righteousness. He says when I look at myself, in comparison to the revelation of Scripture, when I see my life, even though I was blameless as to the law, a Pharisee among Pharisees, even though I was one who adhered closely, he says, when I look, 
I agree with Isaiah. My righteousness is nothing but a filthy rag before God. Ah, but the gospel is the power of God. That word power, there are a number of words that are transcribed or translated as power in English from the Greek. One is iskos, the other is kratos. We are familiar with exousios, which means the authority or the right. But this word is dunamis. It is where we get the word dynamite. Paul says the gospel has dynamite in it. It's got spiritual dynamite. It will blow up your conceptions. It will blow up your prejudices. It will blow up your positions. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is good news. It's good news to everybody. The gospel is good news. The gospel is powerful news. But then he says this, the gospel is universal news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew only no, to the Gentile only no, to the Palestinian only no, to white only no to blacks only no to Hispanics and Latinos no it is the power of God to everyone who believes to everyone who believes I must ask the church it is not that the gospel is not powerful but he says it is powerful to all those who believe. James, the Lord's brother, writes to us in his letter and tells us in chapter 1 that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I uh, was going to brag briefly about how long I had been pastoring until Elaine told us how long she had been a member of this church. <laughs> then I thought maybe I should keep my mouth shut. But I will say this. I've been pastoring for over 30 years. This is not the first time in my life that this nation has been confronted with its original sin. It is not the first time the consciousness of this country has been brought to the inequities to the crack in the foundation. It's not the first time the church has been called to look ourselves in the mirror and see do we really believe. And over these years, 
I've heard many ideas, seen many programs. There have been many, many genuine efforts from the sociological world. There have been many efforts from the economic world, many efforts from the world of psychology, many efforts from all of the areas of society that have a contribution to make. But I stand here today to tell you, after 30 years, no philosophy will change the hearts and minds of men. No program will change the minds of men. No community group, no political establishment and association will change the minds of men. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In this day of electronics and digital devices, we are now just about in, everyone except me, in a paperless society. But there are a few of us in this room who remember years ago when the way we got our news was not to look at our smartphones or our iPads, but the way we got our news was a newspaper. I know that's we almost need translation when we say that. You all remember when the news, there may be like myself some former paper boys in this room. I was a paper boy and I used to have to get up early in the morning, four o'clock, not because I wanted to. My daddy said if I was going to live in his house, I had to have a job. At 13, that was the only job I could find. I would get up every morning. Those papers would be delivered and I would take those papers and roll them up and put rubber bands around them and I would take them before the sun rose to the houses in my neighborhood and I would go by each house and throw out the paper because they wanted to hear the news, wanted to read the news. But I remember before there were paper boys going from house to house. There used to be paper boys standing on the corner. There were newsstands. And there, the paper boy's job was to sell those papers, to get people interested in the papers. And there was always something going on in the country, something going on in the community. And if it was big news, it would hit the front page of the paper. But the job of the paper boy was to let the community know there's news that you need to know about in the paper. As I sit down, I want you to know here, 40 years later, I'm just a paper boy. 
but I'm a paper boy this time telling you it. Extra, extra. Read all about it. There's good news in the word. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Jesus died on the cross and rose that we might be forgiven. Extra, extra. Read all about it. He has broken down the middle wall of division. Extra, extra. Read all about it. In the gospel, in Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no Scythian, barbarian, black or white. In the Bible, in the word of God, we are one in Christ Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first, yes. By promise, not by preference. God is keeping his promise. Isn't that good to know that God never forgets his word. God will do what he says and he offers salvation. I challenge us as a church that we don't look at ourselves as black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches, but we look at our church as one color, all of us washed in the red blood of Calvary. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ.